0: Hey, music is playing everywhere, isn't it? It's great that music is in the background of everything we do. In the car, you can jam out. On a spring day, right? In the house, you're listening. At work, you're just walking through the mall, there's good music. We all... Like music, right? And there's music for every part of life. If you're sad, there's music for that. If you're happy, there's music for that. If you just fell in love, there's music for that. If you just broke up, there's music for that. If you want to calm down, there's music for that. If you want to get hyped up and work out, bum, bum, bam, bam. there's music for that, right? All kinds of music that fits the moment, personality, seasons of life. We all love music, and we're actually hardwired. love music by God. So there's not a person in this place that's not wired to love music. And that doesn't mean at all music you like. I mean, there's some beats I don't like. But there is something universal about the design for music that's fascinating, that's God-given. And so for most of us, when we were children, if someone wanted to calm us down, they would sing a song to us. Most of us learned how to sing Happy Birthday, and we learned to sing it, and none of us are very good at singing it, so when we get to that point in a party where everyone's like, let's sing, it sounds horrible. But we all know the song, right? And we sing along. We all learn how to sing, and we've listened to jingles, advertising jingles on the radio or TV, and we start humming it along or singing someone else's advertisement for them. It's just a part of how we're wired, but when did we stop singing together with other people? I mean, if you went into any nursery school or school, all ages, all different kinds of people, they would be singing together, but we don't sing together anymore. I mean, maybe the national anthem here and there, or take me out to the ball game, or a Christmas carol once in a while we'll sing, or some of us will sort of pretend to sing in church, but when do we stop seeing the value, the importance the design of singing together. Music is fascinating. I mean, music can put expression to what you're thinking and feeling. Music can stir your emotions and cause you to experience something you couldn't expect. Have you ever been transported by music? So you did something in the past, and maybe It maybe was a good thing or a bad thing, and there was some music playing when that happened. And years later, you can hear that song, and it's like teleports you back to that moment. The music has the ability to do that. Music teaches us things and helps us to remember things. So none of us would be able to spell if we didn't have that dang ABC song, right? Like we would never know our ABCs unless someone figured out how to put it to a song. It has this unique ability to teach and encourage, but why do we not sing together any longer? Why is it that we've kind of given up on it and we don't value it? We don't do it together. Or we might do it individually, but together with other people? Nah, I'm not really down with that. I think it's because when we were kids, life was easy and ideal. And we thought, "Ah, eh, I'll like a song, I'll sing it out loud and proud. And I don't care how I sound. I'm not thinking about how I sound. I just like the song, so I'm going to hum it and sing it. But as we've gotten older, more mature, sophisticated... We start to compare ourselves with other people. We start to divide a class. It's like there's the class of people that sing and the class of people that don't. Those type of people sing. Those people, people don't. And I'm not one of those types. Or I am one of those types. Instead of seeing no, music was designed by God for us for a purpose. And when we stopped singing together, we lose, we miss, we stop experiencing Something God designed for us to experience. So, we're in this series talking about why the church does church things. And today we're going to look at why we sing in church. And some of you are like, I love singing in church. And some of you are like, I hate singing in church. And some of you are somewhere in the middle. Some of you might go, I like kind of church music, but I don't really like to sing and I don't even know the song. Some of us are like, well, I hear that song at church and I kind of hum it during the week and I might belt it out by myself in the shower, but there's no way I'm singing in church because I'm way too tough for that. And some of us could look at singing and go at church and go, why do we even do this? I mean, is this just filler? Like we don't want to listen to that knucklehead talk for an hour, so they got to add in something else, music, right? Because it takes up some time so we can do an hour together or maybe... We look at music and go, man, you know what, it just gets us ready for the good stuff of taking communion or listening to the God's Word preach, something like that. Maybe we look at music and just think, ah, it really doesn't matter, but I guess we just got to endure it to get through to the other side. Is there a design that God has for music and in church? And the answer is yes. There is a very real important reason why we sing together. It's not an accident. It's not filler. It's not certainly to entertain anyone and to make you feel like, wow, that was a good show. I like the music. That's not the point. We sing in church because we're in a spiritual battle. And Pastor Brad kind of brought this up last week, that we are in the midst, whether you realize it or not, every person is in the midst of a spiritual battle. And some of you might hear that and go, I get that, I see that. And some of you might be like, what? A spiritual battle? So let me explain. Here's what I mean when I say spiritual battle. You see, when we were kids, life was easy and everything was idyllic. And so if I found a song I liked, I would sing it loud and proud, and I wouldn't care what anyone thought. And then life happened, right? And then I started to face difficulty. I started to face anxiety. I started to face evil. I started to face injustice, hardship, heartache, problems. What do you call all the negative experiences that we have as humans? What do you label it? How do you describe it? The Bible describes all the negative anxiety, fear, injustice, problems, murder, everything, all that category of stuff. The Bible calls that evil and describes it in terms of this world, in terms of there are good things and there are evil things. That there are real evil things in this world. That a parent would abuse a child is evil. That a person that would go into a body of people and at school or in a place of worship and kill other people, that's evil. That when you face injustice at work or at school or at home... The Bible would say that's the result of evil. That there is real evil in our world because there's real people like you and me in our world that are sinful. We're rebels. We do what we want to do when we want to do it. And the result is this world is full of sin and evil because it's full of you and me. And life is hard. There's evil and sin in this world. And one way of describing that is that we're in this spiritual battle between good and evil. And you might go, that's sort of weird, but that's sort of the tension that the Bible speaks about. And God's design for music for every single person on human, every human, is to bring us encouragement, to give us hope and peace, and He uses music to do it. And I want to show you this in the Bible, that music has a really important strategic role That in this world where there's good and evil, music has a part to play to bring us encouragement. So if you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 5 is where we're going to land today. Ephesians 5, we're going to start in verse 8, and Paul is the writer of this letter. Ephesians 5, you can turn your Bible on, flip it open. Paul's the author of this, and he's getting hyper-practical in this section of Scripture, where he wants to encourage us how to deal with the realities of good and evil in this world as followers of Jesus Christ. He's writing to people that have put their trust in Jesus, and he says to them, for, well to us, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Like all of us start out As people that are broken and sinful and we struggle with evil, but we hear the hope of Jesus Christ. And if you put your trust in Jesus Christ, he changes us from darkness to light. He says, in the past, before you put your trust in Jesus, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And yet we still struggle with darkness. So he says, for you're once darkness, but now you're a light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that's illuminated becomes the light. This is why it said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's talking about a battle that's going on. The battle in the hearts of every son, daughter of God that's put their trust in Jesus. And he's urging us, if you put your trust in Jesus, he says in verse 10, then do what pleases the Lord. Verse 11, he says, have nothing to do with the deeds of darkness. Verse 15, be careful how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise people. Make the most of every opportunity. Don't just coast through life. Verse 17, don't be fools, he says, understand what God's will is, and do it, he's acknowledging in this passage that there's a tension. I've put my trust in Jesus, but I still struggle with darkness, temptation, anxiety, fear, hopelessness. I still wander away from God. Even though I've put my trust in God, I still struggle with all kinds of things. There's a battle that rages inside of me, and he's giving us coaching of how to handle that, And I find verse 18 fascinating as we deal with this spiritual battle that goes on inside us. He says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. I find it fascinating because in the middle of this conversation about a spiritual battle, he says, hey, don't get drunk on wine. Why would he say that? He says, because drunkenness leads to deeds that are not pleasing to God does not shine the light of Christ. It is not God-honoring. Have you ever seen someone who's drunk? They take something in their mouth, it goes into their system, and it begins to control them. That which is outside of them enters them and controls them and leads them to do things that are not God-honoring. And he's drawing an analogy. And he's saying, wait, don't get drunk on wine, but instead be filled with the Spirit. What's he talking about? Something that is outside of you that enters you and begins to control you from the inside. He's saying when you put your trust in Jesus, he puts his Spirit inside you that's designed to begin to control you from the inside. And so as followers of Jesus that are in this battle, he's saying, hey, If you let drunkenness or wine or beer control you, anything else control you from the inside, the way you're going to struggle is real. But if you allow my spirit to control you, govern you, guide you, that's going to help you in this battle that God lives in you, daughter of the king. God lives in you, son of the king. Let him control your thoughts and your actions. You might think at this point, he's saying, okay, let God control you from the inside. If you're in this spiritual battle, you might think he'd say, and now you should pray more or you should memorize more scripture, but that's not what he says. He says, do not get drunk in wine. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Instead of saying anything about pray more or read more bible or memorize, he talks about music. Fascinating. It's because singing has a unique place in our lives and singing together encourages us and unites us together in this difficult life. Singing has a way, hearing the lyrics and truths to melody has a way of encouraging us and uniting us together. You know when someone quotes you a song lyric, how helpful that is? It brings you a certain truth. If someone quotes to you a song lyric, so like I was a normal teenage guy, as normal as I could be, a normal teenage guy. And, you know, I would like a girl, and then I would break up with a girl. And then she would break up with me, and I would like another girl. And I'd go through this back and forth with girls thing that most people go through. And my mom would sing to me, You can't hurry, love. Oh, you just have to. You know when you hear a lyric like that, how that helps you to understand a truth because it conveys something to you that's memorable and helpful? I work with lots of difficult people who are struggling with hopelessness. I I interact with a lot of you that you get to moments in your life where you're like, I have no hope. I don't want to live one more day. You know, sometimes what I wind up doing is I wind up singing to people. I know that sounds crazy. But if someone is at the end of their rope, sometimes I'll just sing a song to them and I'll go, the sun will come out tomorrow. Bet your body. I know, that's really bad. But you know, in a moment, what happens to that person? They're reminded that there's hope. There's something about lyrics and music that when we quote it, bet your bottom dollar that, no, we're not gonna keep going. There'll be, you got it, two. No, we're not gonna go. Listen, there's something about music that reminds us of truth and encourages us and unites us together, that's God's design. And so when he says, sing and speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, he's saying this because it helps us as we go through life. You know, long before technology, militaries, armies, you'd use music for everything. I mean, armies would use music to wake the soldiers up. Armies would use music to call the soldiers to come and eat. Armies would use music to say, hey, it's time to go to battle. Armies would use music to tell everyone we lost. Armies would use music to say we won. Armies use music of all kinds to unite soldiers together. I read a story this week about a World War I soldier who wrote this in his journal. He says, the greatest experience of my life was the singing Of 1,500 Marines and 1,000 sailors just before they put out to sea. It was just at sundown. The Marines had gone aboard and the seamen were lined up on the pier ready to leave. They had been told only at noon that they were going to war and the surprise and the shock of the sudden departure was still in their faces. At the request of the commanding officer I took up my position on the gangplank, and for more than one hour, we had the most inspiring singing. Marines from the deck and sailors from the shore. We stopped only because it grew too dark. The sailors went aboard singing as the ship went to sea. You get this image in your mind? 2,500 Marines just told they've got to go off to war, and they spend one hour singing together? What's up with that? It's because God designed singing to unite the hearts of people together. And especially when you're going into battle, especially when it's hard, it brings encouragement, hope, and unity to people. It's His design for us. The reason we sing in church is because there's a real battle going on inside of me, there's a real battle going on inside of you. There's a real battle going on inside the people in the Lehigh Valley who doubt there is a God, who wonder if God cares. There's a real battle going on and there's something about us hearing each other sing that helps us in this battle and unites us together, showing that we're not alone. Ephesians 5:19 through 20 teaches us something else about singing together. Singing together honors God. Paul writes, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Like there's an aspect of when we gather to sing, it has nothing to do with anyone here. This is about God. We're, we're singing this to God. Sing and make music from your heart to God, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So so if I give thanks to God by myself at home or in my car, that's awesome. Giving thanks to God, that's great. There's something so unique about all of us, the church of Jesus Christ, gathering together in one place, all of the diverse people of the Lehigh Valley who set aside our differences, we set aside our doubts, we set aside our stress. We set aside our joys, we set aside our sorrows, and we come together and sing one song in unison together to God. There's something about that that honors him in a very unique way. It's God bringing all his kids together through the person and work of Jesus Christ, and he listens to his family sing. And for some reason, that brings him incredible honor. And joy when he hears us together lifting up one song of praise to him. It's not about how different we are. It's not about how successful, how much money, how much education. has nothing to do with anything else, but we stand on a level ground before the King of kings and the Lord of lords as sons and daughters of the risen God. And when we lift up our praises to him, it makes him so happy. There's one more reason we sing together in church singing together, softens people's hearts. See, because we're in a spiritual battle, because there's real good in this world and real evil in this world, whether you're a follower of Jesus that came into church today or you don't know Jesus yet, you come in and whether you're having a great day and your heart is soft and you want to praise God or you're a son or daughter and you've had a hard week and you don't want to praise God, when we sing together, there's something that melts hearts. There's something about someone who comes into this place and hears a unified group of people praising God together that melts hearts and helps people that are far from God to see that there must be a God. How could one group of people that are so different be singing and praising a God they can't see? There's something about that that melts the hearts of people and causes them to go, wait, maybe there really is a God. So there's a story in Acts chapter 16. You you could read it yourself, Acts chapter 16, about two Christ followers, a guy named Paul and a guy named Silas. And they go into this town, Paul and Silas, and they go into this town and they're just following God honoring God, living for God, and because they're honoring God, living for God, believing in God, they get their butts kicked in this town and put into jail. And you might go, that's kind of weird, but that's normal reality for most of the world. There's many people in our world, for just believing in God and living for God, you get beat up and put in jail. Persecution is real. It's just not real here in America, yet. But the reality is this group of guys gets beat up and put in jail. Now, if I got beat up and put in jail, what would I do? How would I act? I'd be grabbing the bars, screaming like a baby, crying, wailing, complaining about the injustice. But when you read Acts 16.25, Paul and Silas, it says they start praying, which makes sense, right? If I was in jail, I'd probably pray too. But what they say they do next is incredible. Paul and Silas start praying, and they start singing. I don't know if that's what I would do. I get thrown in jail for following Jesus. I'm going to pray to you, God, but I'm going to sing about you, God, sing about how great you are, how powerful you are, how strong you are while I'm in jail, but that's what they do. And something amazing takes place. The jailer that's holding them there goes, what's up with these dudes that are beat up and put in jail and now they're praying and praising God? And this jailer and his family comes to know Jesus because Paul and Silas are in jail praying and singing. Because there's something about music that melts the hearts of people and goes, wow, this does something. Wow, someone singing, someone praying, is causing me to believe that there is a God and I want to follow Him. When we set aside our differences, when we rise above our difficulties, when we rise above our doubts, our hard weeks, and we sing together, God uses our song somehow in His way to transform the hearts of other people, maybe causing some who are far from God to come and believe there is a God. That's incredible. So singing together encourages us, it honors God, and it softens the hearts of other people. So when did you stop singing? I mean, if this is true, if these are realities, if it's universal that music has this way of encouraging and uniting us together and it gives us voice to praise God, why don't we do it? Why don't we sing? And maybe you're convinced today that there's a purpose for music that, and you want to grow in singing, I just want to give you one little piece of advice. That if you would think maybe today that singing and participating in worship as a part of the church family is something you want to grow in and practice, can I just give you this one little bit of advice? Comparing your singing to others leads to discouragement and disunity, God's purpose in music for the entire human race, especially for his family, is to bring us encouragement and unity. When you start listening around and comparing your voice and your experience to someone else's, that brings you discouragement and divides us and keeps us away from each other instead of bringing us together. You see, you might not think you sing very well, but who cares? This isn't about you. If you asked a little nursery school of kids that were singing because they were happy or singing because they were sad, it wouldn't be about how good they sang. They're expressing their feelings. And if our singing has something to do with honoring God, he doesn't care how you sound. I do, but he doesn't, right? He doesn't care. He wants to hear us praise him, and he knows that when we do that, it encourages and unifies and helps us. But when you compare yourself to other people, it disunifies, it just discourages. So, you know, we're all different, too. Some of us have really great voices. Some of us have terrible voices. But we wind up looking around. So, so a little thing that I did when I was first dating my wife So my wife is very different than me. She's a foot shorter, she's from Europe, and she's quiet. I am not any of those things. I'm big and I'm loud and I'm demonstrative. One day when we were dating, I looked over at her during a worship service and she was like this. And I was the stupid one to say to her, why aren't you worshiping? And she was like, who are you to decide if I'm worshiping or not? Because I don't act like you, or sing like you, or express myself like you, then I'm not worshiping God? And she taught me a valuable lesson. You see, when we honor God, worship God, we're all on level playing field. There's nobody that does it right or does it wrong, does it better, does it worse. There isn't one-size-fits-all way to honor and worship God, but to be authentic and true to yourself. And see that God sees you, understands you, knows your heart. See, for my wife, her natural disposition, if she won the lottery, it would be like this. (laughs) That's her being excited. But for me, when I win the lottery, it's like, woo! You know, like I'm... So when I'm worshiping the Lord, I'm like, woo! And she's like, stop looking around is the point. Stop comparing yourself to other people. Frankly, when I am in a worship service, I close my eyes not because I'm spiritual, but because I'm not spiritual. Because I get so distracted by looking around at all the things that are happening, I have to focus so I close my eyes to cut that sensation out so I can focus on what I'm singing. Stop looking around. Maybe you don't know the song. Maybe you don't like the song. Maybe you don't know the words... You know, even if you don't know the words, even if you don't like the song, you can engage in this moment of singing and pray these lyrics. Sometimes you don't even actually sing out loud. Sometimes you focus and there's something inside you that's singing, but you're engaged in the moment with the people. Sometimes I stop singing and I turn to listen to everyone else singing because I need the encouragement that I'm not alone. I know that singing is vulnerable. But I know that if you can get past the vulnerability, God has a design for you to be encouraged, strengthened, helped when you open your mouth and sing. So why not try it? Let's pray together. Father, you're incredibly patient and gracious with us rebels. You know the good inside of us and you know the evil inside of us. You know the battle that rages. You loved us so much that you wouldn't leave us in our sin. And you sent your son Jesus to die that we might walk out of darkness and evil into light and life as we navigate the difficult journey of ups and downs. You have designed music to unite and encourage us. Please help us to take use, make use of this tool and experience growth and change and courage as we listen and hear one another sing, as we lift up your name together, as we experience other people come to know you because with one voice we praise your holy name. Be present in our worship, in our songs, and unite our hearts together as sons and daughters of the risen Christ. I pray this in your strong name.